Sonic States. So, um, hello and welcome, everybody, to Sonic Talk number 89. Um, this is, well, we're, we're nearly 90, you know. Isn't that what really old people say? I'm 89, you know. Anyway, I'm, I'm waffling now like, like I am actually 89. But um, we've got a small but uh, perfectly formed uh, panel this week of uh, Mr. Richard Hilton, who's back with us. How you doing, Rich? Very well, and uh, not feeling necessarily perfectly formed, but uh, feeling well. So you've, you've been off doing like work and stuff, doing more important things. Anything you can talk oh. about? Well, last week I was in Los Angeles, or more specifically Santa Monica, working on some recordings with Nile Rogers and uh, the esteemed Bob Clearmountain, and that was Ooh. quite a thrill and an honor, and that was big fun. And uh, let's see, I don't know, some weeks before that I was in uh, Europe playing with Sheik in Holland and in Spain. And um, generally, things are very busy around here. Lots of good family things going on. My son graduated high school yesterday, and my other son is doing very well and performed the beautiful piano recital recently, and my wife and I are celebrating our anniversary this week. Oh, wonderful. All good stuff. big party being held here on Saturday to celebrate the graduation, and so uh, all kinds of stuff going on here. That's that's fantastic. It's great when all that stuff comes together because it's really, really crap when it doesn't, isn't it? When you've got all that stuff going on, it's like, oh, darling, we're going to have to postpone the, par- the party because I'm working. <laughs> it's much better if you can kind of get it the right way around, isn't it? Yeah, well, I've managed to make most of it. I did miss uh, one son's birthday and Father's Day, but uh, made it for all the rest. Oh, yeah, of course, Father's Day. I had Father's Day. In fact, I got a um, a chill-out CD from Ministry of Sound, three three editions, which I've been listening to this morning, which has been kind of quite fun. So thanks, Jane, and thanks, Nelly. <laughs> Nelly made me a lovely card. And, of course, we have, uh, well, lest I forget, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Yes, there we go, got it in. And um, Mr. Dave Spears from G4 Software has managed to join us again this week. Thank you, Dave. You've been able to hang in there. Haven't missed a, haven't missed an episode for a while now. No, you're due, you're due a break. I think you need, yes. we need to rest you. Yeah, don't want to yeah. use you all up. Right at eighteen, eighty-nine, I'm due for retirement. That's probably the age <laughs> I will retire anyway. <laughs> of course, so, we're glad you're here today. Absolutely, of course. Thank you, Dave Spears from G4Software.com, makers of fine musical instruments and actually making fine musical instruments, or certainly sound packs and things like that. Am I would I be right in saying? Yeah, we're still beavering away. Excellent, excellent. Well, this week's been kind of uh, fun for us. We um, well, let's think we've got a lot going on as well in, in Sonic State terms. Um, we did the London International Music Show, which was um, the first show at the uh, Docklands, Docklands XL Centre. It was fabulous. It took us four hours to get there. We forgot to pay the uh, congestion charge, so we got. We took us. It took us two hours to get across London, and it cost us ninety quid, which is a shame. Oh! Yeah. The the problem about Docklands is it's a little bit tricky to get to, but once you get there, it's kind of great. It's like not being in England at all. It's like a sort of really unusual place, and the show was pretty good. Although, unfortunately, they closed the Jubilee and the uh, Metropolitan Lines, which are the main sort of routes to get to Docklands, for the weekend. So it meant that the audience was down a little bit at the weekend. But we did our live show, which was kind of interesting. It was our first ever. I did a sort of live video broadcast. Didn't quite go as planned. We managed to record it, but it didn't sort of stream as planned because of the, the um, video was up there. I think, Dave, you managed to catch a few garbled sentences, did you? 
uh, I logged on on Saturday. Oh, <laughs> I, I got I got the Friday confused with the Saturday, and I logged on, which was hilarious because there I think there were seven people watching it, and I was sending you frantic text messages at the bottom of the uh, little um, yeah. box, and of course you weren't responding because I was in bed because there was nobody there. No, actually Saturday, where would I be? I'd have probably been on the motorway on the way home. Ah, okay. So you just did Friday. Yeah, we just did, we did we just did a broadcast on Friday. We thought it was probably easier that way, but uh, M Audio guys are, and Digi, like I say, sh- thanks to Charlotte and uh, David for really for for accommodating me because I was getting you know more and more anxious and to, you know kept putting things on tables, going, is that going to be the right height and moving stuff around? And but we got there in the end, um, and I think it worked out. I think it worked out all right. I mean, the final thing, I all I did with the stuff that's up there now in in rotation is cut the top and tail off because there was just tons of you know be with you in a minute. And then um, tried to shorten the uh, the sort of black frames when there was nothing going on because I'd forgotten to press a button because there's so much other things to be thinking about. So, you know, it's about 20 minutes. I was quite pleased. Haven't been that nervous for years, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of good. It's quite thrilling. You know, I quite enjoyed that um, and just talked total rubbish. And most of, most of me is, most of the stuff that you can see of me is me peering at the screen, looking really confused, wondering why something's not working. So it's not quite the most televisual... Com- spectator sport i was hoping and of course nobody none of my subjects could hear what the hell i was saying because they're standing five feet away from me and so well i have to shout really loud just to get them to hear me so there's lots of them leaning towards the camera kind of going sorry i didn't quite get that you know and there are all these people standing around going what's going on here we can't hear or see anything <laughs> so it's a you know got to work on the show aspect of it a little bit get a bit more showbiz going on but um it was fun it was fun um, i've got mark mark has managed to um do something with his toddler. I hope it's nothing illegal, and I hope he hasn't. Um, I hope he's maybe he's got him to sit in front of the front of the telly for a bit because Mark's been dealing with a fractious to- toddler. So let's go and get Mark. Hey, Mark. Hello. Did you manage to solve the problem? Uh, we're on Camberwick Green at the moment. Ah, in, a good choice. Old even school in, in Camberwick Green. Yeah, an old school kind of. Um, I like it. <clears throat> I've had full on. No, I don't want to watch cars. I don't like cars anymore. I don't want to watch it. Come and play with me. No, I'm going to do my podcast. No, you come and play with me. Ah, uh, so he's conked basically, more, but he won't admit it. Trooper is like, I'm going to keep going. I refuse to fall asleep. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Mark Tinley, um, joining us for this week. Um, Mark Tinley, of course, myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. I should change that, shouldn't I? Really, to Lord Mark Tinley. <laughs> Same gag, different week. Look, it's not a gag. No. I am now royalty. Well, well, I don't. I, I think royalty is no, actually pushing it. <laughs> it's, it's very far from royalty, Mark. Although you are a king in my eyes, of course. I've always wanted to be an earl with an OBE. That way, I could be an earlobe. <laughs> hey, <laughs> thank you. Just, just pipped in at the last minute, Mr. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. How you doing, PJ? Doing fantastic. Good Great. to be here. I'm really glad to have you back. We were a bit getting a bit worried about you. I was getting all these excuses about having kind of trouble with the studio setup and stuff, and we were just um I was just thinking basically you've you've changed since you've been married. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been undergoing a big remodel here. I uh <laughs> tore out my control room and rebuilt it uh from the ground up, put in a new floor, new ceiling, new lighting, everything. So it's been uh it's been a fantastic month, but, uh, you know, long nights, long days. Yeah, when you get into all that kind of wiring and choosing how the patch bay is going to go. and oh. yeah, It's kind of fun, but it's, uh, it's very immersive, isn't it? Building subfloors, that kind of thing. Oh, right, <laughs> okay. 
yeah it's uh it's been it's been crazy yeah so anyway i thought we were off this uh this past week but uh i found out when i checked on oh no we uh we did last week we had a week off two weeks off previously and we got a week off probably two weeks off next week next the next two because uh, i'm going on holiday on sunday and i don't get back till the tuesday so i think it's pretty unlikely i'm going to be back in time but i do have a treat uh, install because when we were at limbs um i was just saying we've been at london international music fair which is the the new um london music fair show which they're trying to kind of get set up a rival to to music master which would be brilliant because it would just be sort of closer and more handy um we saw uh, a, a chap called mr ken robinson who is a sort of motivational speaker who has kind of very interesting theories on the idea of the creative mind and how we basically our education system is not designed to encourage intelligence it's it uh, it actually suppresses divergent thinking which current you know due to current sort of analysis is one of the most sort of creative and um pure uses of intelligence that you know the mind is capable of and you know there's all these these illustrations where he's got you know when they're when you're three years old your divergent thinking is you know incredible you know you do these tests and you're 100 percent of of a control group where are 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 you know, brilliant divergent thinkers. And then when they start going to school one year, two years, three years at school, it just drops away to kind of, you know, 2% of uh, of the population. So he's got all these interesting theories about creativity and how we should nurture it. And it's quite interesting. And I've got like a 45-minute um, presentation from him. Mm. But I suppose that could, we could, it's not the first thing on our topic, but it sort of fits in because um, I've just talked about it. So that was one of the things on on, uh, on the topic list, which was, you know, because Sir Ken Robinson features quite heavily on TED, um, which is a sort of place for for interesting and uh, illuminating speakers to talk about a variety of subjects. And uh, I think I sent a link out uh, of one of his talks, which I think was on similar similar lines. I don't know if anyone got to see it, but it sort of, I wondered whether or not, anybody had seen any speakers or um talkers on creativity that's kind of really got them going and found them inspirational i saw it um i have to say that what he was talking about was uh, pretty poignant stuff and i agree with a lot of it mm-hmm. um uh i've done a creativity seminar myself actually oh really um, which was all really interesting and i think the point when i realized that i actually got bugger all creativity was the point this was when brandon my now 11 year old son was about two i was uh, walking out the house trying to get past him i was like come on come on out the way i'm late for my creativity seminar yeah (laughs) and he's standing there with a packet of rizzlers pretending that they're an aeroplane and he's like going and i'm like what are you doing come on come on get out the way and he goes oh dad it's an aeroplane and i'm like no it's not don't be silly jump in the car i'm driving off on to this seminar i'm about halfway there and i suddenly go oh god you know like this two-year-old way more creative is you know inventing things out of rizzler packets airplanes and stuff and i suddenly realized that you know no matter how much seminar i did i would never end up back there well i don't know i think i mean i think you can train the brain because obviously if you can train it to be not divergently thinking then you can presumably train it back um, no, I don't know. Well, yes, you, but you, you're never, never going to get back to that sort of two, three-year-old kind of state. Are no, you? perhaps not. It's that sort of total just float. completely polluted with fear, aren't you? But I mean, the illustra- <laughs> an illustration of divergent thinking. What was he saying? That there's quite a, a good one in the speech that he does. If I t- if I tell it now, it won't give it too much away. But he says, you know, if you ask a group of a hundred people 
you know, for 20 uses of a paperclip. Um, the divergent thinkers are the people who sort of go, how big is the paperclip? Can we make it really massive? Can, you know, and they, they actually start manipulating the question to suit sort of alternative trains of thought. And it just kind of starts to go very linear and out, out of the window. So whereas the rest of us just would answer it in a very literal, literal sense. So right. yeah, an interesting talk. I don't know, PJ, you strike me as the kind of guy who might have uh, experienced some interesting motivational speak talks or. I watched the Ken Robinson, <clears throat> Robinson talk and uh, was entirely inspired by it. Um, I've been making a case for this point of view for years uh, because I have some uh, some interesting divergent thinkers in my family, and some of them have been uh, uh, typecast. And uh, I, I recommend highly the book The Artist's Way, The Artist's Way, for anybody that wants to train the brain into divergent thinking, because I think it's a very good uh, pathway towards that. Um, it's a series of um, about six to eight weeks of exercises that, uh, including journaling, and um, at one point you go through a week's fast from media um, that really help to sort of kick the brain into that divergent mode. And uh, for me, I think it I think it worked real. I'm not I'm not going to claim to be some kind of uh, uh, speed divergent thinker, but uh, I definitely you found it really it did something for you. Oh, yep, absolutely. Yep. When I was watching um, Sir Ken talk, um, it, you know, it was it was geared towards a sort of more a younger audience because it was on Education Day. But I was thinking, actually, you know, when you're playing with children, you kind of use that part of your brain again because you just kind of have to go where they go and you just kind of completely adapt, or at least that's what you try and do, or even come up with stuff to get them interested. So oh, we have a nanny. No, <laughs> that's not true at all. Um, yes. Yes, definitely. Well, you do lots of Playmobil animation, which must be a real kind of, you must get you going. I mean, it's very procedural in some ways, but, you know, you kind of must have to think kind of slightly out of the normal scope of things just to come up with some interesting stories and what have you. I used, I always leave the stories to the kid mm. and then, you know, I'll do the kind of technical stuff. But what really amazed me is um, she did one for Underworld fairly recently or last year and um, she followed the, theme of the music literally until it got to the end and then she threw in this twist which actually kind of blew me away i wasn't quite sure whether to be um completely overawed with pride or slightly worried because it was a kind of slightly sinister twist but i love that i love that and just watching kids think is brilliant and a good friend of mine he his motto is you know to try and look at everything through the eyes of a child and i do think it's a skill that has to be acquired or reacquired yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, I have a similar motto to that, but mine is no matter how old or how young someone is, they always know something you don't. So even <laughs> if even if they're like one, two years old, it's worth stopping to listen to them just for a second just to see what they've got to say on it because you might learn something. And I'm and you know, or if someone's 90 years old instead of thinking they're some doddery old git, it's just well, hang on a minute everybody's got a different point of view so everybody knows something you don't and kids are definitely included in that and you have to train yourself to do that and stop and listen to children i think that's no i i I think i agree but sort of bringing it back to the musical side of things i mean often you know great people who you know who are very creative it just it comes out of them all the time they must have a kind of it's often thought that they have a large part of childlike imagination about them still that they can still use that muscle rich i mean you must come across kind of very 
unusually creative people you know in your work as well and, and you know you yourself are pretty creative too i mean do you find that um there's a, a a dilemma between you know the procedure of having to kind of engineer and the and the process and the kind of way of just going off on a tangent and coming up with the the, the kind of musical gold well i do find that i um kind of reside on one side of my brain at a time and that there are times where i'm so deeply on one side that it's hard to get to the other side. So if I'm really wrapped up in technical pursuits and computer operation and making sure the session's going smoothly and everything else, sometimes Niall will turn to me and ask me a musical question and I'll have absolutely no idea because I'm just not thinking about the world in that context right now. I'm right. completely in, on the other side of the street looking at it from a different perspective. And, and I'll tell him so and, and I'll say I have to listen to it again now you know, from, that, from that standpoint. Um, I guess my, my thoughts about this have been developed across 36 years of playing professionally and observing creative situations. And then some college courses I took on, uh, psychology and, uh, and, uh, a course very strangely named space of intimacy that didn't really relate so much to intimate situations as it did in some ways to creative situations. And then something that uh, Sir Ken Robinson said that really uh, related to something I thought a long time about is that adults are really bad at being bad at stuff. That as we get older, we tend to, to gravitate towards doing the things that we do well because we don't like to look foolish. And it's why you find very few older people taking up things as beginners, you know, musical instruments or a painting or whatever. And right. whenever I do, whenever I do, I'm always really supportive and really uh, filled with praise for that person because it takes a lot of courage for uh, people who are older to to put themselves out there like that and be bad at stuff in public. I lo- yeah. I'm immune to that. I think I love being <laughs> bad at stuff. I love doing really silly things like jumping in puddles with my kids or chasing around the supermarket making engine noises. All you, you're going to be one of those really disgraceful <laughs> old people, aren't you? Yes, definitely. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> well, I mean, just just to take it back to, to Sir Ken for a moment, the uh, what was we we met up with his um he, it wasn't his minder but a guy that is he that Ken is training up to kind of to do motivational speaking and he was talking about you know basically they make an absolute fortune doing this kind of stuff he um he was telling us a story cuz so Ken in his story, in his um speech that he did that we recorded he's talking about getting married in Vegas he got went to Vegas got remarried you know renewed his vows and um just before he was going to go and do that a a, a really big company phoned up and said we we want you to uh, to to do a talk and he said I can't you know I'm going to go and get married I just can't do it and they sort of said oh please please you know what would it take and in the end they just said listen we've got a private jet you can have it for 3 days basically so they flew him to the gig and then they let him have the jet for his honeymoon and kind of going to Vegas to get married and um and that was kind of part of the, I don't and I think he got paid as well you know but that's the sort of kind of stuff he commands you know and it's, it just strikes me as you know obviously that's a great gig jesus doesn't that sound like a good gig maybe we should all start go off on the creative speaking and thinking courses and going we could do a uh, sonic state podcast tour and we could charge a fortune what do you think <laughs> i like this <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure we get away with it mine but you know i think it's not as easy as it looks no i don't think it's as easy as it looks he did make it look very effortless actually and you know he is a sir and presumably he is a sir because he's been of i think he goes into organizations and helps them sort out the way that they deal with their kind of sort of maverick creative thinkers and sort of gets them 
working in different ways that just generates output and what have you. So he's obviously very, very smart. But anyway, what I was going to try and do is run that as the podcast next week when I'm away. So we can all listen to the particular thing that we did and hopefully oh, I'll have listen to it through. We filmed it all as well, but I don't know. Think I think a three-quarter of an hour video is, is pushing the bandwidth a little bit more, but three-quarters of an hour of him talking, I think we'll be okay. In fact, we were, in, we were encouraged to do so by the organisers of LIM, so I don't think we're breaking any kind of embargoes or copyrights or anything. So hey, next man. week, I hope. Yeah. Could I add one more thing? Of course. Uh, Mark inspired something. Um, it made me think about uh, receptivity and how as we get older, uh, we have to flex that receptivity muscle. And in conjunction with not being, um, not giving into the fear and rejecting things that I think come to us all of the time. I, I mean, when I, when I have conversations on this subject with people, I find that almost everybody I talk to has strange, wonderful, wacky, creative ideas all of the time. And what uh, happens is this sort of internal editor jumps in and says, oh, I, I couldn't indulge in that, or I couldn't explore that further, or I couldn't implement that. And that's what keeps them from uh, exercising that, that divergent creative muscle. Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's a societal thing, isn't it? It's kind of what, what you, you know, what people are prepared to listen to, I suppose. I can see, I can see it all going into my three-year-old as well. I mean, he likes the colour pink, and he wanted to buy a pink suitcase yesterday because we're going on holiday soon. And actually, we both felt very guilty about it, but me and his mother kind of steered him towards blue. And then after we'd bought it, we were kind of like going, oh, my God, why did we do that? If he likes pink, surely that should be okay. There's all these tiny little kind of things that you have to do to fit into society that that we're slowly programming into him, which are, you know, slowly eating away at his uniqueness mm. we're all doomed i know <laughs> <laughs> but it, this is kind of again all the stuff that ken's talking about is the, these the, the way that this works it's, it's very interesting um i we, do, i know but I, I do have to say i don't do what i want i have like a whole load of stuff going through my mind that i would kind of like to do and then i sort of think oh god i can't do that and this little voice just stops me from doing it i mean this kind of you know the wild creative completely unleashed mark tinley would be a very different person to the person that i am and you know anybody that's seen me drunk might be uh able to bear witness to that (laughs) 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 i haven't seen you drunk much i've seen i at all actually I've seen PJ hung over, but I haven't seen him yeah. drunk either. <laughs> Not a pretty sight. Sonic Talk. Sponsored by Yamaha Music Production. Producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. Accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal pub and full Cubase AI4 integration. www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk. Now, compressors and peak limiters. I really, really wanted to get this in because we thought that Rich would know, and everybody seemed to think Rich would know what the difference is. This was when, remember, a few weeks back. We had some topics from Mr. Dan Austin, who very kindly sent in. And they were all killers, actually. In the compressors and peak limiters, we didn't have time to fit in, and then subsequently, Rich has not been around. So, what I thought I'd um, try and introduce it this week. And basically, what Dan is saying is compressors and peak limiters. Many amateur producers and bedroom recording artists don't have a clue how to use them or what's, when to use them or whether it's better to compress the whole track or never at all or what's the difference. And 
and it got you know we we've had discussions while rich hasn't been here um whether we know enough to cover it and we don't and mark has, uh, has rather rather kindly dropped you in it so rich knows all about that stuff so rich what is the difference between a compressor and a peak limiter and when would you use either um <laughs> i on a on a purely construction based level i can't explain to you the difference but in insofar as they're both ways of controlling dynamic range sure i tend to think i tend to think of peak limiting as as a process you put at the end to prevent overs and you know on the back on the back of your PA system to prevent you from blowing up the the rig in a major arena and stuff like that but but uh, I kind of view them both as as dynamic range modifiers and envelope modifiers and that's how I think I think of them kind of like almost like uh, adaptive envelope generators in a funny sort of way because oh, yeah. it's you have to, th- as you apply it to any specific task, you have to think about separately, typically, how you want to affect its attack and how you want to affect its decay. And you use, uh, assuming you have them, attack and release controls to control that. Now, some of them are just one-knob turners, and uh, they kind of handle that for you, and it either sounds right on the source that you're placing it behind or not. But, um, I'm, you know, it's an ongoing learning thing and last week being around clear mountain and watching him work uh was a revelation on some level because he uses far less i've tended to use far more and more of it as time goes on as the public stylistic norm seems to be uh more flat not so much flat lining but But just more impression individual elements and and so i i have fallen into the habit of using it somewhat more than i used to but i still use it much more subtly than most of the people i see around me um, lots of people mix to them, don't they? I mean, you know, you put the bus compressor on the on the the SSL, and it's kind of like, yep, yeah, that's what you you mix to. So you're mixing into a compressor, which is kind of a, a yeah. Weird. And there's a huge uh, market right now in software emulators, and even SSL themselves have built an outboard rack that connects to your computer via a card that allows you to have SSL sa- compressors in software available to your DAW. Does, does anyone have a kind of uh, any more to say about the, 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 the difference between them? Because uh, I've got a wild guess, but okay. it might not be correct. Go with your divergent thinking, Mark. You've got something loud and you peak limit it. You keep turning it up and it just kind of crushes the top of it. So it's sort of like skimming the cream off the milk, right? Right. If you've got something uh, that you compress... Uh, it doesn't just take the top off it, it lifts the bottom as well. So it's like pouring oil into mm. milk, maybe, so mm. that the milk floats on top of the oil. So so what compressing does is it tends to lift all the background noise in between the loud sounds as well, right. whereas limiting would leave the background noise at the same level because it wouldn't affect it. It would just slice the tops off the loud stuff. You don't, Yeah, I mean, you, oft, you often don't get makeup on peak limiters, is that right? Makeup gain. Sure. You, well, no, you usually it may not be automatic. It's a it's usually an output control, right? That allows you to make up for what the front end of the thing is doing. And and what Mark just said, I think of as um, shortening the ratio between the attack portion and the sustaining portion. The uh, the in other words, the peak level and the average level. You're reducing the dis- the difference between the peak level and the average level. Oh, okay, which well, allows you to bring up the average level and make it appear louder. Yep. That's what a peak limiter does. I kind of, I mean, I just tend to use whatever, whatever works. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably more of the sort of compress it till it sort of gets, gets you somewhere. 
I tend not to. I, I find um, subtle compression is um, is just not for me. I mean, maybe I'm just a kind of a, an unsubtle kind of guy. Huh. But but uh, one thing that was quite interesting, we did. We've we've been running this series with uh, Danny Bird, who's a drum and bass producer. Really good, really good, actually. His stuff. Um, Simon Power. Um, one of the guys who does video for us does a lot of the video stuff. He did an interview with him a couple of weeks ago and we put the first part of it up and he uses uh, peak limiters rather than compressors or as well as in terms of actually as inserts across tracks, but drives them quite hard and they have a different sort of effect again. It's quite interesting. I mean, cause I just thought, Oh, that seems quite unorthodox, which maybe it is, but it's certainly, what, what does he do? Sorry. He puts, he uses peak limiters across um individual drum sounds and breaks and what have you and just kind of i just, do that as well yeah i use the adaptive limiter and logic on everything it's really got a good sound apart from it's very hard to because it looks ahead doesn't it so if you play if you put it on a real-time instrument it the, the latency is a little bit disconcerting it makes it really easy to balance things i just smack everything really hard and then just sort of try and <laughs> try and balance it out somewhere in the, in there afterwards and and it sort of works and i kind and i and i do mix into limiters as well so i've got limiters on everything and on the master and just everywhere <laughs> do you think it's making us as engineers and balance engineers lazier yes or, or does it or is it difficult do you know does do you have to take it right back to kind of getting the recording right so that you wouldn't do that or is it a, a i mean maybe it's a, a a kind of byproduct of digital because with digital you don't get that saturation like you do with tape so you know you don't get a kind of soft limiting anyway so we have to think, kind of put more of it on in the digital world is that right or is that total rubbish I'm, a, I'm not a sound engineer, really, am I? I'm a well, programmer. No, I mean, neither am I, but, but I mean, we but still... I'm a, but I'm a synth programmer, and I can listen to things and go, that sounds good or it doesn't. So how I get there tends to be uh, the, you know, the shortcut method a little bit, I think. Yeah. What do you so think, I, Rich? Because does digital require the use of more of this kind of stuff? My week's epiphany last week was how little of it Clear Mountain used and how great it sounded. So on, on basic tracks, on rock basics. And, right. uh, and it made me want to rethink the way I've been using it. But, but I'll say this. I almost never like to see a, a uh, gain reduction device clamping down more than 3 to 5 dB in any given single pass. And if I think I need more than that, I'll put some of it on input and some of it on playback. I, don't tend, I think most of them don't sound real good when you hit them harder than that. Right. Now that which wow. is a completely different approach to what you guys just articulated, and I realize that, but that's how I use them. I'd much rather make two passes through one or two different ones, you know, knocking off maybe three dB of either the attack or then the portion behind the attack in order to bring up the sustain a bit. Mm-hmm. But um, I I don't like hitting them hard, and I don't like what it sounds like when people do. Okay, PJ, how do you kind of approach it? Um, I think what you said earlier is probably true. Um, a lot of us uh, who are recording directly into a computer might not have a lot of different flavors of saturation going into the computer. And I think people tend to overuse compression and limiters, digital emulation compressors, compression and limiting in order to make up for that loss of saturation or the absence of it that we're so used to hearing when you record through a really good preamplifier or a really good uh, analog console. Um, but I think that uh, lately what I've been experimenting with is using um, things like I, I own the Waves SSL bundle and I'll put uh, the bus compressor on a channel but I'll, I won't reduce the threshold. So all I get is their 
saturation emulation, which right. just imparts a subtle distortion onto the uh, onto the signal, almost almost inaudible, but it it does something to the transients and makes kind of a, a little fuzziness. And over several tracks, uh, that seems to add that missing dimensionality or warmth that I think sometimes people are going for by pounding their signal with uh, compression or limiting. That being said, I do generally, if I'm, if I'm mixing something uh, that's more rock-oriented or something, I'll mix into a compressor. But like Rich, I'll put the threshold really, really, lo- you know, n- really high so that I'm not getting any more than usually – a lot of times just one or one and a half dB of gain reduction at the end of the signal chain will make all the difference in the world. And it just kind of mm-hmm. pillows out the mix. But I'll, I'll put it there first and I'll mix into it. So that, that way I don't use as much compression on individual tracks across the mix. Oh, I see. Dave. Mm-hmm. Mr. Dave Spears, are you still there? Yeah, what's a compressor? <laughs> Is ah. that thing what makes things louder? Oh, okay. Ha, ha, ha. No, it's interesting. When I did uh, a lot of location video work, I would uh, slap a limiter on the SQN mixer so that you know the level would never go above anything that I desired. But in terms of um, compression, I mean, I've always seen a compressor as, you know, like when you sat watching TV at night and the sound's up and down and up and down and I'm constantly riding the volume control. I've always seen a compressor as that, really. It just kind of lowers the top, but it's, it's automatic, as it were, instead of me fiddling around with the volume control um and it sources for courses if i think it's it's something needs savage compression um then i'll try that and if uh, but nine times out of ten i do like subtle compression do you think software is good for subtle compression uh yeah but again i suppose like mark you know i kind of came up from a synth programming point of view so there were always engineers in the studio and i mean um one of my sort of favorite albums uh, michelle the plantation lullabies when i was talking to the guy who produced that he said that the reason that sounds so wonderful is that the creative use of compression by um in fact i can't even remember who it was bob um, bob power well, uh, and that sorry, was hardware what, right and what was sorry what was that again the the track uh no it's an album it's an album called plantation lullabies and it's just got such a beautiful warm warm sound to it you know i was kind of going well yeah but you know it's all in the production he was going no actually it's in all in the engineering and it was in particular this guy bob power who i think you know his email was something like professor compressor (laughs) it does take i think it takes quite a long time for your ears to become attuned to what compressors are doing and how they work because the first time i used an 1176 i didn't think it was doing anything and i turned the knobs or every which way and thought what's this thing doing <laughs> so i asked a friend of mine who is an engineer and said well you know i don't think this is working properly and he came in and said no it's fine and he kind of set it up for me and said you know use that as a starting point and i went right okay got hold of a sharpie and drew lines off the the end of all the controls where he'd said them and i don't think i ever moved it again for about <laughs> four years in, you know recording all of simon's vocals through it and so, so many of the vocals are a bit dodgy on their albums it's it's my fault <laughs> no it's that magic it's the magic <laughs> lines yeah uh, it's, it's funny but the chap's well, the name thing- is Sean, Sean Chenery, and he engineered lots of SEAL stuff, and SEAL sounds quite good, so I, I figured it was okay, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Brilliant. See, for me, I can usually hear it long before I can see it on the meter. 
And and so by the time I can see a DB getting shaved off on most limiters uh, gain reduction metering, I'm already well into he- being able to hear it. Wow. I'm that- much better at recognizing the sound of it now. It is something uh-huh. you've got to learn. It's the same as MP3s. I mean, we're probably all very uh, uh, skilled at identifying MP3 encoding noise, but people who... I just buy them from iTunes, haven't noticed, maybe. so. And mm. if you educated them on what sounds wrong about it, they'd probably hear it on everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm well, with Rich, too, but uh, that especially in the, digital, in the digital domain, the meters on a lot of the compressors aren't very accurate. So you, you'll start to hear it long before you'll even really see it showing up. Yeah, maybe you know, not so to use the meters. Yeah, if you start to visually rely on those meters, you're not. I, I don't think it's as accurate as using your ears. And just one thing to mention to anybody that's starting to learn how to use compressors and limiters, don't play around with them so much on already pre-produced material like loops um, because that it's, it's going to be a lot harder to hear. If you can get a raw source like a raw drum track or something like that or a bass, it's a lot easier to hear what a compressor That's is That's a doing very then. interesting point because a lot of people who are into um, producing you know, dance music from the home, they're not going to have access to raw recorded material that is going to be up and down and require this kind of treatment. That's well, you can go out point. on the internet and find a lot of raw recorded Well, you material. can, but I mean, essentially, that's not maybe what you're going to be looking for when you're making your own thing. So when it actually does come at you, you might not know what to do. That's a very good point. Just quickly, Nick. Um, the other part of this question was whether it's better to compress each instrument or the whole track at once. Ah, uh, yes, of course. And I'm quite interested to hear Rich's um, opinion on this, because I've found sometimes, like, if I bring up, say, if I, I, I can be really struggling with a mix, and I'll bung, say, ozone... Uh, one of the presets on the, on the output bus, and uh, all of a sudden everything starts to gel. And is that the same in your experience, Rich? Uh, some yeah, quite often these days, I use a, a tiny bit of of bus compression, um, usually from a McDSP ML four thousand. These days, um, I do use compression on individual elements as well. I don't rely on the bus compression to bring it together so much, but it does. That, that's one of those cases where by the time I can see it on the meter, I can really hear it. So I don't usually want to see it on the meter. If I do, only a tiny bit, maybe one dB's worth of, of what their metering indicates. And um, on individual tracks, some things yes, some things no. I like the impact of drums without it. Sometimes I'll bust the drums down a stereo pair and stick one on the drums before the stereo limiter at the back, depending on how aggressively I want to present them. Um, usually, sometimes I'll compress a bass. It depends on how well it was recorded. Usually, I've got some kind of compression on a lead vocal. Um, but and usually and quite often i want to even out the guitars a little bit but again none of these are drastic it's all like really light stuff on the individual tracks feeding a very light bus compressor because i'm not really trying and even then it all sounds way more compressed than it used to when i was younger and seemingly doing the same things so uh I'm not but, sure why that is, but I, I do both, actually. But aren't you, aren't you emulating, I mean, this is what I was saying, presumably, you know, originally you would have been going to tape for your master, which would have provided a, an extra level of saturation or, bus, or or compression, depending on how hard I you used, were driving it. I used them back then, too, both yeah. ways. I prefer to use little bits in and out of the storage medium than using a lot either way, so that's my habit. Now, it was interesting, I was watching... Uh, Clear Mountain tracking vocals, and he wasn't compressing the input at all. 
he was compressing the monitor so that everybody heard it the way it would be coming back ultimately. But oh, okay. uh, he wasn't. He was recording vocals without any input compression whatsoever. I was I was interested in that because I don't typically that's, do that. Uh, I typically use that's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, how was he stopping it from going really smacking over the edge if someone it, purely with level? <laughs> was he riding the faders or was he just setting it up so that if they did something really loud? <clears throat> yeah, he was leaving enough headroom. I didn't see any riding going on during the vocal uh, takes, and uh, I thought that was interesting because typically I do have one of two or three compressors in our collection uh, between a microphone and, and, the, uh, and the recorder, which in my case is the computer. Um, but again, I'm, not looking at, I'm hopefully not looking at anything more than like a minus two or a minus three on its meter. Uh, one of them's Summit, one of them's Crane Song. So was he using any EQ between the microphone? Was he recording nope. onto a digital audio workstation? Oh, yeah, he was recording to Pro Tools through their beloved Apogee interfaces. So he's taking the mic... Pure microphone sound straight in with no EQ into the thing, so he's got maximum amount of manipulation later then, right? Well, the, I think there's an a Neve 8068 in between, but yeah. Why? Use the, mic, no EQ, the Neve wow. mic pre, no EQ, no compression, straight into the Apogee, uh, what is it, AD16X. But doesn't that, that gives a bit of soft limiting or something, doesn't it? That has a bit of... Only, only if you ask it to. Oh, okay. All right. No, fair. Fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, basically, there's just a lot to it, isn't there? I mean, there's just so many ways to use this stuff. I mean, we're typically in the kind of dance and pop areas that a lot of people aspire to or work within, you use a lot of it because that gives you the most in-your-face kind of affected sound. I mean, that, I think that would be fair to say. Maybe as you spread out to other genres, you know, that you have to be much more subtle in your usage of it. I attribute it more to the uh, lack of apprenticing that takes place in the current engineering climate and the, mm. the, the temptation is to turn the knob until it's doing something drastic yep that's what i do <laughs> there's all these lateral thinkers around aren't there <laughs> well it's cool i mean it all works and i mean it works for you because it's you doing it it's who you are as you do it i don't think oh yeah we all should be doing the same things i mean i'm never advocating for that well, great. Well, thanks ever so much for all of that insight. And thanks to Dan Austin for providing a, another fascinating topic that got us going. Um, did anyone see the little Korg nano controls? Yeah. Uh, Limbs. Yes. The, this is another thing that we saw at Limbs. And it's unusual to see products launched at uh, a kind of UK fair, but we did see a few. We saw a Roland, some Roland workstation keyboards and the nano controls. And the nano controls, are. Uh, we did a video of them. They're tiny little, basically dirt cheap, I mean, they're like 50 quid, which is, what, 100 bucks, probably less by the time they're on the street. Uh, three of them. One's a kind of nine-fader, transport control, a couple of buttons per channel, little fader, and a, and a pan pot. One is a 12-pad sort of drum, drum thingy, USB. And the other one is uh, like a keyboard, which is, uh, which is kind of made of um, sort of extended laptop keys. And it is velocity-sensitive, but they just seem to make things that you kind of go, I've got to have one of those. I've got to have one. And, <laughs> and I've got yeah. to have one. I definitely want to try them out. Do we all like the idea of just throwing a laptop in the bag and a pair of headphones and one of these kind of type things and just wandering off and making beautiful music? I, I'm particularly interested in the keyboard interface, but that little drum pad interface looks interesting to me too. 
Um, in fact, it all looks interesting to me. I, I'm fascinated by it. I'd love to play around with it. I do love, you know, occasionally at the airport, I'll boot up Ableton Live and go ahead and just create some kind of wacky little loopy thing that I'm doing. But uh, it, because, because it's easy and fun and they let you use the computer keyboard as your keyboard, um, this is even better. So uh, I'm interested to play with these things, yeah, and see how, how they feel, how, if they're going to fall apart in my computer bag. Yeah, I mean, they are cheap and light. This was the one thing. I mean, I can't imagine whacking on one of them very hard and having it, um, you know, moving across the table. You might have. But um, it also kind of brings up a slightly wider discussion, which is why, you know, everything seems to be miniaturizing. We seem to be going more and more miniature. And, I mean, what is it? I think it's a penchant that society has for non-locality. And that the smaller you make something, the more portable it becomes. You know, there, there's sort of a, a cognitive, uh, whether or not that's, I mean, functionally that's, that's true to a large extent. But, I mean, I, I think sometimes they defeat the purpose by making things a little too small. So they're, they're cumbersome to use because they're too small. But that uh, people want the freedom to, to be mobile. Oh. Hello? Did someone go? Yeah. Well, that was weird. That's the noise it made last time it crashed. <laughs> that's what I was just wondering. Do you think it's got something to do with the fact that um, if we if they're small, we somehow think we're not spending as much money, even though we buy more of them? That's insidious, Nick. Well, well, in the food <laughs> business, when you get down to that, it's all about the packaging, then. Yeah, it's- I didn't see the packaging for these, but um, they've they've. I mean, th- there's a topic over on uh, Create Digital Music where he um, it's just uh, you know announcing them, and there are 94 comments, and everybody's pretty much saying, "I want one of those." And, you know, the, the news item that we posted has just an enormous amount of hits. And it's just, you know, again, it seems to be Korg who quite often are the people who are getting. I don't know who they've got working in their um, design department, but um, they're obviously pretty damn hot. I know my good friend Jerry Kovarsky's over there, and he's a very creative and interesting fellow. And uh, perhaps he's... Yeah, maybe. He's got the, the mark of Jerry. I should ask him. Dave Spears, I haven't heard from you for a little while. Did you kind of feel your, yourself reaching for the pocket? Uh, yeah, and I'm relieved you said it was 50 quid or roundabouts because I want that keyboard, definitely. It drives me insane taking a laptop around and not actually being able to play anything. But I always find, you know, two-octave keyboards are never enough and you're always going, oh, God, I want to play, you know, I want to play that note and that note and I can't. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that, but at least this is a start. Yeah. I can sit on a plane and annoy more people. But certainly seems to be, you know, the product of the show. And presumably they'll be, uh, we'll, we'll be seeing them rolled out in Nashville. Um, obviously next weekend is uh, Nashville, Summer Nam. Uh, Andy's gone over. He's probably in the air at this very moment. So he's going to film us. We, we only got these prototypes. I, I imagine we'll be seeing them actually recording, you know, and being used um, over at uh, Nashville, I hope. So we might see them in, you know, see how they work actually in situ. I think we could probably uh, call it call it a day. I, 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 I'm... Um, we could go on, but I, I, my parking ticket runs out in a minute, and I'm going to get I'm going to get fined <laughs> if I don't go to the car park and get the car. Oh, don't do that! <laughs> I'd just like to say, um, first of all, if you want to check out the video, the video stuff we've got um, from Limbs, um, the best place to look at it, we've got a, a new fancy new video player, SonicState.com forward slash player. Try that, and uh, you can jot around and have a look. There's also all the news coverage coming from the Summer Nam show and the stuff from the Limb show is going to be on the news pages. So just head on over and have a look. Hopefully, um, if you can't get over to Nashville, we'll be your eyes and ears. That's what we're trying to, trying to achieve anyway. We'll see how we go. What is this um, thing that we didn't do, the superior drummer? Is that a bit like the other drum things, like addictive drums or whatever? It's like BFD. Yeah, it's very is it? good. It was very good. I can't wait. It. You like tune track stuff, don't you, PJ? 
I do. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, sort of against my um, nature, I submitted a song for their, they did a contest on their forum and I won. Oh, and so cool. sending me a, they're sending me a copy of uh, 2.0 this oh, next week. Brilliant. And I can't, cannot wait because I use their custom and vintage uh, software. I have to say, I think that's the best sounding kit I've heard for a long time, just in terms of variation. I mean, those snare rolls and stuff that Near Z was doing were really impressive. Fantastic. I did make the point that he'd actually played them in the first place. See what that's I mean? Right. So it was totally uh, matched yeah. for his fill. So I don't know, uh, with another drummer, it might not have the same smoothness. But you, but you do realize that you can get in there and at least program to that level of subtlety. Yeah, so fantastic. If you, you, if you play it in yourself, then at least you can futz with it afterwards and you know and get. Well, it. I'll tell you what. You next should. next week and next time we'll have a drum one because we can do the tune tracks and we can do that nine oh nine thing, which also looked really good as well for a nine oh nine. Oh, why, why, why another bloody nine oh nine? For God's sake! We'll save it for next week. Save it for next week. <laughs> we'll save it for next time. <laughs> I mean, why? Why do they keep making them? It's like you know. This one seems quite good. Oh, this is good. It is good, but it's just another bloody 909, isn't it? It's like, yes. Haven't we had enough of that sound already? You may have. You are the band who overdosed. You're probably responsible for the fact that a lot of people are heartily sick of it, Dave. Um, ah, that's Mark. so funny. <laughs> so, hey, for, any, for anybody that uses uh, Reason. Hey, but I uh, sold mine to my brother. It wasn't my fault that he became so famous, was Yeah, but it? You, you programmed it. Ah. <laughs> you facilitated it you were the conduit th- through which this stuff flowed mark so i'm afraid i doesn't wash you've made your bed <laughs> now <Yeah>. listen to it <laughs> and um it just remains for me to say thank you very much to our guests um first of all mr rich hilton always a pleasure from connecticut rich hilton is found at myspace.com forward slash hiltonius Mr. Mark Tinley, also, uh, thank you very much for joining us and keeping your um, your tired toddler entertained enough. I think you've been, if you've been slooping away, uh, I haven't noticed. You've done it very um, surreptitiously. I think I missed a couple of comments here and there, but yes, I, I can hear another episode of Camberwick Green drawing to an end. Oh, so. well, this is the perfect timing. So Mark mm. Tinley, of course, myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley, maybe soon to be forward slash Lord Mark Tinley. We'll see. But thank you for joining us. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And Mr. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, thank you. Great to have you back, and I'm glad your studio is kind of taking shape again and your broadband's back on. Yeah, thank you. It's a joy to be here. And I I don't suppose you've uh, had time to work on your website, so I can't plug your URL, can I? Not this week. Ah, uh, well, maybe next time. Maybe. Okay, well, thank you anyway for joining us. And, of course, Mr. Dave Spears from G4 Software. That's g4software.com. Thank you for joining us too. Thank you very much. And... Um, I think this is, we're going to have another um, probably two-week break. Next week, uh, I'll play, I'll, I'll get the Ken Robinson speech up so uh, everybody can have a listen to that. But thanks for listening. This has been Sonic Talk number 89. Next time will be 90. Sonic. State. Not home.